Dean, I suppose. Uh, it's hard to imagine this church surrounded by water, but there you go. And that, that one was, obviously, and I'm sure you'd find others as well. So, we've just heard, basically, in uh, the last part of Genesis chapter 1 and the early part of Genesis chapter 2, we've heard what's often referred to as two creation stories. The, the creation stories referring to the uh, creation of humanity. The bottom line is God establishes the universe out of nothing. He speaks it into being. And he brings life to it. Without that life, it is merely dust. And he brings life in so many diverse forms and wonderful forms. And then he crowns it. And he crowns it with another creature. But one with an essential difference. It is a creature made in his image, we're told. That's you and me. That's you and me. Not an afterthought, it's a crown. Now, I've included both narratives in uh, this morning's service because I think together they speak about God's intention regarding our role in relation to the created order. But they do so, if you're reading the NIV one on the screen, in quite different words. And I just want to explore this a little bit because these different readings have, in, in the history of the church, been used by certain Christians to understand what the word is saying in quite different ways. Now, I'm not trying to be theologically hair-splitting, all right? Um, but as I say, it's important we think about what we're reading so the two verses uh, that I draw your attention to specifically are these two. And um, the first is Genesis 1.26, which reads, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and all the creatures that move on the ground. And the second verse in Genesis 2 reads, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden, to work it, you know, to tend it basically, and to care for it. In both, God having spoken the world into, be, into, into being and pronounced it excellent, entrusts it to human, humanity's care. But in, we have two very different languages in that entrusting. The first one is, seems to be of domination and ruling which seems quite different in some ways to the other language of working and caring. Now, we're going to explore this a little bit more in a, in a minute, but you may recall about two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, Hugo Anson was here speaking at the last of our series of Church in Action out of the Book of Acts, and the reading was from Mark um, 16, verse 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the good news to all of creation. And I agree with Hugo, who brought that message that Sunday, that the prime objective of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to bring personal human salvation to individuals. But I would also want to add that it is then through them, those individual humans reborn, as it were, that the gospel becomes good news for all of creation. It just doesn't stop with us. 
It, obviously, if we then better understand God's plans and intentions for the world, and we are seeking that in Christ, then hopefully we will be the stewards God wishes of us, or wished of us, in the early days of creation. Through the Bible, we understand that humanity, which was intended to be the crown of God's creation, no doubt on that, has since the fall been so disfigured by sin that in some ways we have become creation's what's called a nemesis, you know, the complete reverse. It's doom, it's destruction. And it is because of that understanding, and it's because of that I do see the gospel of Jesus Christ as being so very much good news for all of creation, good news through the stewards who were intended to be looking after the creation, respecting and valuing and treasuring all that God has so excellently made. Paul writes about this in Romans, actually. Romans 8, he says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. There's an intimate relationship there in Paul's understanding between us, especially in Christ, and the, and the creation's future. Personally, I, I'm passionate about my, how I feel about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm also passionate about how I feel about the environment in which we live and for which we are responsible as well. Now, but I question that concept of dominion. I think sometimes when it's interpreted to, uh, as it were, give divine permission for humanity to dominate and to selfishly use the world. Personally, I find that second charge of tilling and keeping and caring much more clearly expresses what I understand of our primary vocation, which is to be a blessing to all of creation. So we're going to look at those two verses a little bit in a minute. Um, I don't think there's a contradiction between the two, and I hope to bring you to that same place. I don't, I'm not saying this is one you should listen to and that one isn't. You know, they're both in the Bible. You know, for how, how do they speak to one another? It's really the, the key question we must ask ourselves. Before that, though, I've got a little quote here from uh, Billy Graham. Sometimes um, evangelical Christians have received, at times, warranted bad press for their attitude towards the creation. You know, sometimes people take the view of, well, God's going to give us a new earth, a new world. We won't worry about too much about this one. And you do get that attitude. So Billy Graham, who obviously was very much an evangelical Christian, said these things. Well, why should we be concerned about the environment? It isn't just because of the dangers we face from pollution, climate change, or other environmental problems, although these are serious. For Christians, the issue is much deeper. We know that God created the world. We know it belongs to him, not to us. And because of this, we can only ever be stewards or trustees of that creation. We aren't here to abuse it or to neglect it. The Bible says in the Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
Billy Graham said, if when we fail to see the world as God's creation, we will end up abusing it. Selfishness and greed take over, and we end up not caring about the environment or the problems we are creating for future generations. So uh, just, it's not all evangelical Christians who, who seem to take this, this but he, I think Billy Graham's example there and words there are very helpful. The concept of stewardship that Billy Graham talks about reminds us that we're here to serve the Lord of all life, not just ourselves, not even just our brothers and sisters, but serves all people and all of creation. Our task, I think, as Christians is to live for the well-being of the earth and all of its inhabitants. So having said that, let me just turn to the couple of verses in particular and a few words I'd like to add on that. <clears throat> so verse 26 of Genesis 1 says, The Lord God says, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth, and the, all the creatures that move on the ground. This first verse dealing with the creation of humanity, unlike the second in Genesis 2, is not set in a context where there are moral and ethical choices to be made. Instead, the image in Genesis 1 is of humanity as God originally created them and intended them before the fall. Simply living lives in our original created glory, as it were, reflecting something of God's image in us in the world in which we are placed. It seems in this verse that God seems to be speaking as a creator king, announcing his final crowning work to the heavenly court. Since man is made in God's image, every human, without exception, is worth of honour and respect. It would be a contradiction to treat people otherwise. God's image in man means that he was intended to be, as it were, filled with godly characteristics, holiness, justice, mercy, righteousness. Humanity here in Genesis 1 is presented here as the climax, the crown of God's creative activity. And God, as a psalmist told us, we read from Psalm 8 a bit earlier, he crowns that creation uh, with mankind. Psalm 8, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, birds of the air and fish of the sea. Yes, there is a sense of dominion and authority present, but it is not a worldly, selfish dominion that is there to exploit, but it is a godly dominion, a right dominion. It is an authority that would demonstrate godly characteristics in its handling and its management of the world. Holiness, justice, mercy, compassion, righteousness. So dominion there in that first chapter of, of Genesis at the beginning of the world is not, not idolatrous, it's not a selfish, greedy, destructive dominion grabbing for my own use. It is not the dominion that we, as fallen people, have come to know. It is the dominion of God expressed through human form in the world as he 
intended it. And this is followed by these couple of verses. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him male and female. This is actually the first piece of poetry in in the Bible, by the way which is, I think, quite significant. A lot of the Old Testament is poetic. Poems are often used in scripture when just mere words don't really convey. Whenever you see poetry, you need to really reflect on it because it's more than just the words. It's deeper than that. And in that that verse, the word created is used three times in this sentence. It describes the central act, the divine act, on that sixth day of creation. The day when Homo sapiens were created, male and female, who together bear the image of God in them and who together share in the divine benediction or blessing that follows in verse 28. Be fruitful, increase in numbers, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and every living creature. Humanity was called forth to go into the world, flourishing, multiplying, exercising godly dominion in the earth. Women and men bearing the image of their creator uniquely amongst all creatures, participating with God in his loving care, his tender care of the world. So surely for us, as as followers of Jesus in this time and this place, as we seek to be sanctified by the continuing work of his spirit within us, and in time, and one day, in glory, restored to our original position before God, should we not also be taking hold of our original God-given role to oversee, to steward, to watch over all of God's good works? Again, Paul could be talking about this in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.22. He said... You were taught with regard to your, old, your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How can we say we honour the God of creation if we knowingly continue to desecrate so much of what he has made. And then turning to the second verse, the verse that speaks of working and caring. Verse 15, hopefully. Yep, it's up there. The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And we have here this wonderful image of God taking man and placing him in a garden, the Garden of Eden, no less, in order that he might work and that he might care for it. The creation that God has brought into being is not a static system, but a living system that requires oversight. It requires management. God intended it to be so. It's a living system that needs to be cared for, that needs to be, in that sense, worked, not exploited, but worked. If it was to reach its fullness that God intended for it. We think of gardening as an expression of tender love and care. And we see the competence of the gardener, by the way, through the fruitfulness and the well-being of the garden. 
Scriptures often speak, in the Old Testament especially, about the tender love of God before, towards his people Israel. So we too, created in God's image and reborn in Christ, are in this sense called to be gardeners. We may not always see ourselves in that sense, but we are in that sense. We're called to be stewards of the creation for the welfare of all and to the glory of God. The other thing I'll just point out in that second, in Genesis 2, as opposed to Genesis 1, we have in Genesis 2 the tree of life introduced. And this introduces the awareness that men and women need to be able to make moral and ethical choices. In this sense, again, being in God's image, distinguishing between good and evil. We have been given a wonderful gift, but it's a gift that can be so corrupted. And it's a gift of moral free will. We can choose to act for good, and sadly, we can choose to act for evil. If one of humanity's key distinguishing marks over the other creatures. And it is a mark that is indispensably part of anyone we consider in the image of God. So to me, as I look at the two verses, I don't see any contradiction between the godly dominion of the wording of Genesis 1 and the working and caring in Genesis 2. Put together, they help us better understand our privileged position in the world, as well as our God-given role and responsibility towards it. And I've gone, you know, it's a, it's a little bit detailed that, but um, I've gone into that because it's really important we remember that how we understand God's word sooner or later plays out in how we behave and how we act. And certainly, if you think about uh, the climate situation and the environment situations, there's a very pressing need that we recognise uh, how collectively, as human beings, we have mismanaged the world's limited resources. Now, environmental resources can seem like such a huge problem. Too big for anyone here, surely, to do anything about. And whilst that is true in one sense, we all are responsible before God for our personal choices and actions. As Christians, we attend to God's word. We seek where we, God's leading and guiding. But it is a word that is intended to be both listened to and acted upon. We need to ask ourselves individually that question. What can we do? to make a small step in the right direction. I know when David last week was up here, um, he got you all to think a bit about, a bit brainstorming went on. And there's a picture of Lynn's not here today, but there's a picture of Lynn scrolling on the chart. I hope that wasn't just a one-off exercise. In other words, you all contributed a bit, and then you went home and nothing changed. It's easy, I, I can do it myself, by the way, I'm not in you know, a point of view. Yeah, that, that, that collective input of, of you as church you know, you should pay attention to it you know, and think about in your own situation, your own personal situation, you know, what bits of that could you use? You know, how, how could you work with some of this stuff? Um, Creation Care is a website for those who are willing to use the web to uh, look into things. It's a very good Christian website that is helping people, Christians, think about the big, big problem 
but then try and break it down into a, this is what I personally might, could do, or I could try this and try that. And I just want to encourage you to think about this. Not, I'm not, not being judgmental, but, but little steps make a difference. If people climb the highest mountains, one step at a time, okay, we have a part to play. Please don't fall into apathy. Please don't fall into despair. It's too big. What can I do? I do believe if we think back to that, those scriptures in Genesis and what God wants of humanity and has achieved in Christ and will fully achieve, then surely we have to recognise our place in that economy, as it were. Sadly, we have to say, as Christians of this current day and time, often our choices, our attitudes are more driven by our culture and our lifestyles and our preferences than they are necessarily about God's word. And I say that with a mirror in front of my face. All right. Loving God, I believe, based on his word, means loving and caring for the creation. Loving others also requires that we care for the creation. The science is pretty clear now. For many years, people debated it and knocked it about. But it's pretty clear that because of our careless, greedy activity, we are seeing the accelerated effects. We're seeing species becoming extinct. We're certainly seeing climate change, which already has a significant impact on some of the poorest people in the world. And if remained unchecked, if nothing changes, we'll have more and more serious consequences. And eventually it will affect every single one of us in many ways. So lament and repentance are appropriate. We have to take sometimes sit back and listen to God's work and take stock. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need not follow, fall into apathy or despair. Instead, I would encourage us to move forward with hope, accepting the enormity of the problem, but taking personal responsibility for what is within our own reach to do. Might we press on, not losing sight of the original wonderful, wonderful world God created and the future towards which, in Christ, he continues to call us. Will we be ready? Revelation 21, verse 5. He who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Help us, Lord, to continue to change 